You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. My name is Kathy Biasse and I'm your host and along with Alex Diaz we'd like to welcome you to our show today. Good morning Alex. Good morning Kathy. How are you today? I'm keeping well thanks. That's good. Well it was Oscar Oscar Sunday last week. Did you have or last Sunday did you watch any of the Oscars? I, I tried to but I fell asleep unfortunately. Yeah it, so did it, I. It kind of ran a bit late for me because I had a well busy busy uh, evening the day before, I actually went for my sis- uh, my cousin's birthday, so uh, oh, nice. it was a bit of a late night on Saturday, but it was well worth it. Well, I they're not award shows really aren't my cup of tea, and I probably of all of them, the Oscars are my least favorite. The entertainment is kind of not there yeah, for me. It's for, kind of boring for, for me. I don't I don't get uh, the opportunity that often to go to movies. So d- during the nominations, I was wondering what half know, of them were who these actors were and which, which movies were actually popular back uh, this previous year and for me i prefer music music uh award shows just because so do of the, I. just because of the live music so do i well you know oddly enough we've taken to going almost every tuesday my son or my husband and my daughter and i the theater around the corner from us has reclining seats and footrests it's just a, a blessed way to watch a well, movie it is and and Cheap Tuesdays, I guess it's called. So we've been taking to the theater almost every Tuesday. And I don't know how we missed so many of these movies. In theater, I only saw The Post. And then I watched Lady Bird uh, Saturday on one of the demand channels. And honestly, there were a couple of the movies I'd never even heard of. So I, I thought that I was sort of on top of it this year, but obviously not. It was... So so many of the the movies I had never I had had to Google and see what they were about. So right. Anyways, it's come and it's gone, and uh, I saw two, and neither of them won. So, and the the one that did win with the Shape of Water, it I I saw the trailer and it just it wasn't something that really tickled my fancy. So I don't know, maybe it's something that the trailer didn't really fully describe, and I should go take a better look at. But anyways, that's that's the movies for us, and I guess next year I'll be better attended and be watching some of the the better movies. I guess some of the Gives us, gives I guess the movies that entertain me aren't really classic. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely definitely like the rom-coms as well, but anyway. Yeah, and Marvel. Yeah. They don't yeah, seem to true. get up for many awards, but <laughs> oh, it's okay. Um, March break is around the corner. I'm not it, going away. I, I tend to go away a little bit in the, the less high stress zones. Are, are you traveling? You're not traveling um, next no, week, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not uh, able to get away Next week, no. No, we're hoping to get away in May. Um, we still haven't booked anything, but that's when, that's when we hope to go away. But I thought that maybe today I would spend a couple of minutes and go over what I pack as far as my favorite supplements to take away with me. And I'll give you the reasons why. These are what I take whenever I go traveling. And it's it's been by hit and miss, things that I have found that work for me. So, you know, obviously things work different for different people and people, some people travel very well. I don't, I get a little stressed and I, I just, I, I don't travel well. So I I tend to overpack. That's my issue. Overpacking clothes. That's a given. Yeah, I I, I suppose so. It is. But for me, you know, just things like keeping regular and, you know, my stomach tends to get upset. And we don't go to places where the food is completely different. But, you know, the traveling and the change in time and just the new the new sleep area. It just I'm not a good traveler. So I, I do make sure that when I go away, I have six supplements that I take and I'll go over them with you. Now I take a probiotic, I take a probiotic daily Mm -hmm. and I definitely pack a probiotic just, you know, in case my system bumps up to any funky bacteria or bugs while I'm away, I'm giving myself a fighting chance, trying to give myself a, a good balance of the good bacteria. 
um, I don't take this because I found my family doesn't have this issue, but Saccharomyces boulardii, if people have traveler's diarrhea, you know, people, if you're going to have issue with upset, some people have the diarrhea, some people have the constipation, and I'm in the latter category. So the Saccharomyces boulardii, I don't generally pack, but if you know that you do suffer from traveler's diarrhea, Saccharomyces boulardii is a yeast, and it works very well in controlling traveler's diarrhea. So that's actually a two-on-one punch for you. The other thing that I do take um, is a digestive enzyme. I don't take digestive enzymes regularly, but when I go away, I do take them just in case there's a food that I have tried that I'm not used to, it helps my system along, or in case foods are prepared, not in a way that I'm used to, I do take a traveler's or a digestive enzyme with me. But back to the probiotic, I meant to, I meant to say one more thing. You can get shelf-stable probiotics, so you don't have to get the ones that um, you refrigerate. So there are shelf-stable probiotics you can get. And then the digestive enzyme. The third one that I always take is activated charcoal. Activated charcoal um, binds to poisons and toxins and chemicals. It can also help to absorb bacteria that can be the the cause of stomach upset. So it's kind of like a gastrointestinal decontaminant. So I do take that. It's not something that I take daily when I'm there, but I take it with me in case myself or one of the kids happens to get an upset stomach. It does. I find it works very well. I always take turmeric in a capsule form. I use this in place of aspirin. I do it all the time. I have turmeric in my purse, so that comes with me. And I use it, again, as as just if there's a little pain or a headache. I don't use aspirin. Turmeric works very well for me. The other one I take is number five on the list is oil of oregano. And oil of oregano is an antibacterial and an antimicrobial. And it can also ward off parasites. I take a little bit of it a day or two before I get on a plane. A plane tends to harbor a lot of unwanted things. Um, some people find that when they get home from their traveling, they get a cold or they get the flu. Or yeah, I, Do you I, have that? I, I tend to have that issue. A lot of people do. Um, and being confined into a, on a plane, you know, especially if you're on there for five or six hours, I find that the oil of oregano... I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just, you can't tell right away with these. These are supplements and they're not, you know, they, they, you can't see that they're working on a dime. But I've found since I've started making that part of my um, going to and going from holiday, right. it, it has helped. It has helped. And, you know, and if, if you're tending to get, you know, if you're on holiday and you're feeling a cold coming on, something like that, we pound back the oil of oregano. So that's the, the um, fifth one I take. And the sixth one I take is chlorophyll. And I have, again, I don't have the, the diarrhea. I have the other way. I tend to get constipated when I go away. And I found that liquid chlorophyll. I, ha- I found this by happenstance. Uh, we usually run in the mornings when we're away. Mm-hmm. And one of the resorts that we visited had chlorophyll in um, a dispenser in a water Okay. Whatever those things are that you put the cup under. Right. And they had uh, liquid chlorophyll in there mixed with water. And, you know, I, I drank it because I liked the taste of it. It was a mint taste. And I started drinking it. And I found that it really, really helped me. Um, it, it really helped to loosen stools. And so I take that with me now everywhere I go. And since I've been doing that, it's been the last three holidays we've been in. I have not had any issues. So it's it's not one that people are too familiar with as far as a traveling um, companion, but you can get them in concentrated form. So you, you can get them in a smaller bottle so that you can take them. I think I got one that I could take right on the plane with me. So anyways, yeah, so it was very helpful, very helpful for me. Um, So there you go. Those are what I pack in my travel bag. Again, some people like to pack a fiber pill, uh, I found that when I did that one time, I, before I found this chlorophyll, I found the fiber pill just doubled my aggravation. So that didn't help me. But there you go. That's what I take along with me. So if any of those are any help to you, I hope and safe travels if you are going away next week. Our guest today is Lorene Sorrow. Lorene has been on the show before. She's our resident gut health expert As you know, our gut and its health impact many, many areas of our overall health. But today we're going to focus on an interesting topic. We're going to focus on the connection between gut health and obesity. Lorreen, our returning guest, has been a food professional for over 25 years and a holistic nutritionist for 17 years. 
As a food professional owning her own bakery, she spent years working with organic farmers to help start a farmer's market in Toronto and organizing Feast of Fields, an event to promote organic farmers and raise money and awareness for environmental causes. She is a teacher at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and is an act and is active in holistic nutrition profession, working with the Canadian Association of Holistic Nutrition Professionals. She is the author of A Pastry Queen Goes Green and is the founder of the Healthy Gut Program and the Healthy Hormone Program for practitioners, as well as the Simple Fermentation Online Workshop for consumers. She currently combines her love of food and her nutrition knowledge to promote sustainable methods for growing and preparing food. As a writer and a speaker, Lorreen loves to communicate through her website, programs and events, the information that consumers and practitioners need to help them get more from their food and enjoy their life. When we come back, we'll be talking about things like how a typical Western diet disrupts the balance of our microbiota, how prescription and over-antibiotic use can contribute to childhood obesity, and how we can enhance our biodiversity to improve our overall gut health. So when we return, Lorene Sorrow and I will be talking about the connection between gut health and obesity. We'll be right back. Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. 
Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live. If you want to call in and talk to Lorene, Alex, or myself, please do at 416-245-1534. Excuse me. You can also reach us, reach out to us on our social media sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC. And if you would like to email us, if you have something that you would like to raise as a potential subject for the show, please do so at thh at radiomaria.ca. Lots of ways to reach out to us and do take advantage of them. Good morning, Lorene. How are you? I'm fine, Kathy. How are you? Thank you, and thank you, and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Since the last time we talked, I'm sure there's been a lot more in the research development of the gut and its role in our health. But today we're going to focus on gut and obesity because obesity seems to be creeping up more and more in our health field and the potential health hazards of obesity are huge. But before we get into that area, Lorraine, maybe you could go over, again, sort of the structure of our gut and where our gut microbiome fits in and and a general overview of that for us. Okay, so I'm hoping everyone maybe is because of, you mentioned it a lot, Kathy, I'm sure, and we've we've talked about it before, that, you know, we have all this uh, bacteria in our system. It's on us, it's in us, it's all around us. And uh, what they're learning right now is how much of these bacteria strains that we have inside of us are beneficial. So when we talk about the gut microbiome, we're talking about uh, how the, this bacteria helps us, and they're discovering more and more functions that um, our, our gut bacteria is responsible for regulating. So this isn't just in our gut and how you know how it works. It also applies to how things work in the body, our brain, our heart, our muscles, our joints, you know, everything that our liver, big connection between the gut and the liver, um, all of these things are being regulated by gut bacteria in a very complex way, in ways they never imagined if you want to even go back 10, 15 years. So this is relatively new information, and it's changing basically everything that we know. Now, to to be clear, our biome, our microbiome, is not restricted to our gut. Is that correct? Um, well, depends how you define it. So some people just call the they call it the gut microbiome, but they also say there's a mouth microbiome, there's a breast microbiome. Like they're coming up with other biomes for other areas. Uh, and some people talk about it or define it more as how the bacteria expresses itself is the biome, and therefore it doesn't necessarily just mean the gut. So could so we're we're not talking in your opinion about distinct areas. It's sort of an overall biome and how it's communicating with these different areas. Yes. Okay. Good. Now, when it comes to obesity and you can almost call it a crisis that we're having, and I think more so in the States than here. But why should we be concerned with obesity and our health? Well, the main thing is that they have linked obesity to every development of every health condition. So cancer, heart disease, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, um, it just generally makes us feel poorly. We don't have enough energy and vitality. It's going to age us faster. Um, it's just a big concern. Um, plus, we don't we don't feel well when we're carrying extra weight. It's it's you know it's heavy. So it, it's it's a big concern for people, and um, especially in the society where we live, it also can be very um, you know emotionally troublesome for people as well. Well. You know, we we are inactive. And, you know, I was saying last week on the show, I talked last week or the week before I talked about sitting. And I said, you know, as we're sitting here sitting and talking, we don't move around as much. And, you know, you can feel it in your joints when you've sat down for too long. But even the inflammation piece when, you know, we're, we're tagging obesity as a connection to diabetes and then the diabetes connection to heart disease and then to cancer. It's not just a, a looks thing, is it? It's, it's really, it's, it's pervasive in so many different health issues that we really have to get a handle on it. And I guess maybe the question, <clears throat> excuse me, that I have is, do you think that our gut microbiome influences obesity or obesity influences our gut? 
or is it a play between the two? Well, with all things gut, there's often a play between the two. But what they're finding, so when we eat, depending on what we eat, our gut bacteria evolves. So it changes in composition. So if we're eating a certain way that could also allow us to gain weight, we are also changing our gut bacteria. And what they have learned or are learning is that certain bacteria uh, can make us more prone to keeping weight on. It's probably the best way to put it. It's not that it makes us gain weight out of the blue. It's that once we've evolved to have more of this bacteria, we have trouble losing it and keeping it off. So... Okay, let's get a step back a bit, because I think the question comes off up a lot in, in people who I talk to, too. Is it a gene issue or is it a diet and lifestyle issue? If are you born, you know, I know that, um, you know, we talk about residential bacteria and by about the age of two, I think now, Lorene, it's fairly well established. But can you change that? Or are you, you know, the, the cards you're dealt with at birth, that's what you're dealt with. And people who are prone to be obese are going to be obese. Um, right now, there is information that given the right set of circumstances with food and lifestyle, that what they call the obese bacteria can be lowered in favor of the, the lean bacteria. So right now, it's not a quick fix, but right now there's indications there is some changes that you can evolve with your diet and lifestyle. There's a famous study, well, famous for people who are in, into this sort of thing, I guess, about the lean mouse and the fat mouse and transferring the bacteria from the lean to the fat and the fat to the lean. Is this, a, is this something that we're a path that we're heading down or was this just a particular study? Um, this, well, again, you know that they are experimenting with fecal transplants and putting those into people, but they're controversial because um, they you don't know how healthy the bacteria is you're transplanting, even though they may not have the characteristics of whatever you're trying to treat. They may have some other problems and then you might be putting that into the, so that's kind of controversial right now, but there, there is some of that, but they're not doing it yet for obesity. Um, what's interesting about that study and looking at, at what they call the, like people think obese bacteria is a bad thing and, and it's actually a survival thing. So in other words, we evolve this bacteria when our body thinks we need to take more calories from our food. And you can you can understand that when, you know, many, many years ago when food might be sh in short supply, this is a very good survival mechanism. Uh, what we're finding, though, is that people in modern day are behaving in a manner by not giving enough nutrients to their body that they think they need to evolve more of these bacteria to get more value from the food. So uh, it's kind of like our, our bodies are a little confused. And so we end up getting these bacteria that are what they call the obese bacteria. Uh, and then once we have them, we have trouble losing weight because we get so much more calories from our food than when people have what they call the lean bacteria. I don't, when they do these mouse studies, they are actually putting the bacteria and they're not doing fecal transplants. Like they're literally injecting, uh, which I know of no technique right now to inject directly into a human uh, certain bacteria. Okay. Um, now, so I just want to clear up. So the bacteria is trying to, it holds on to calories, basically is what you're saying. An imbalance or, or bacteria that's going to help us hold on weight are extracting more calories through their fermentation process? Yes. Now, would this affect your appetite? Is it signaling to us in some way that we're not giving the nutrients that our body needs and it's just doing its darndest to extract whatever it can from the potato chips and, you know, Western diet food that we're feeding it? Um, well, I mean, we have to look at obesity in two lights, right? There is overeating, mm -hmm. just overeat, right? Um, but there's a lot of people who are having trouble losing weight and they don't overeat. So this is this is this is more applicable to them. Uh, if you're going to eat, you know, six Big Macs a day and a whole pile of French fries and you know, 29 donuts and whatever, uh, you're going to gain weight no matter what. 
that's just too many calories. It doesn't matter what bacteria you have. Over time, that will influence the bacteria that you have. But it's important to understand that um, it, it's not driving appetite per se. Uh, those, there is a, con- a connection to gut bacteria and appetite and, sat, uh, you know, um, satiated, I can't even say it, satiety, <laughs> um, where, you know, you're, you're not receiving the right signal to know that you've eaten enough. Um, that has a lot to do with the bacteria in your mouth and the mouth microbiome. And there are some receptor sites in the gut as well for those hormones that help you with those signals. But that's kind of a different thing. So, um, it, it, like, this is a complex subject, it's, and this is the problem with the gut. It is very complex. Mm-hmm. Can it influence our cravings? Uh, yeah, there is some information right now that gut bacteria signals what we want, what it wants us to eat. So if it wants us to have more carbohydrates or uh, proteins or fats or things like that, they haven't got it so that it's actually signaling us for nutrients that are more specific, like vitamins or minerals. But they definitely have found, especially with because they feed on carbohydrates, so that's kind of a, you know, the catch-22. The bacteria feeds on carbohydrates, but it has to be the carbohydrates that have the, the, the fibers in them because that's what they feed on, right? So they can signal us for, for, for carbohydrates, but if we don't eat carbohydrates with fiber, we eat the wrong carbohydrates. So the so myth about, the the myth about not eating food. carbohydrates is, in your estimation, not correct. I mean, the, the propagation now is to eliminate carbohydrates, yeah, that's ridiculous. But I think we've had that conversation before, Kathy. <laughs> I think you and I have. I think it, it serves well for other people to understand too, because I think you were on the show. It was almost a year ago now, and still beating the drum is is uh, are lots of people out there who are saying that carbohydrates blanket are to be avoided. And I think it's important to reiterate that there are particular carbohydrates that are absolutely necessary for us. Well, again, if you don't eat carbohydrates, you're asking your body to produce energy in a very difficult way from proteins and fat, and it's very hard long-term on the body. And there are no, uh, if you look into studies, uh, because a lot of this is about weight loss when they're talking about banning the carbohydrates, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you look at the studies, um, low-carb diets don't do any better long-term than any other type of diet. Uh, all diets, people will lose weight on and then they gain it back. And so this is where this bacteria information comes in. Is that This is what they're linking it to, is that people who go on weight loss programs and then, you know, not even quickly, even if over the course of time they gain it back, they're blaming this on this obese bacteria that they have in their system. And it takes about a year for the uh, obese bacteria to, I guess, not be there and more lean bacteria to build up after you've lost weight. So that means you have to stay focused on the quality of what you're eating and how you're feeding yourself and what type of foods you're feeding yourself um, as part of a way to evolve the bacteria so that you don't put the weight back on. This is this is where they're going with that. But at no time would you not be eating carbohydrates because those are the foods that contain the 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 materials that the good bacteria needs to re- replicate itself. Uh, and, and, and this is something that's being lost. If you don't have enough carbohydrates, you can't have a, a good gut biome. And the, 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 the stuff, I guess, that's in the carbohydrates that we need is the fiber. Well, it's not just fiber anymore. So, yes. There are different types of fiber and different types of carbohydrates that feed different strains of bacteria, and it's all good. And then there are also phytochemicals they're now discovering, like, you know, the red and purples in wine and grapes and blueberries and things like that, what they call the polyphenols, chocolate. Um, (laughs) I thought I'd throw that one in. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Green tea, things like that. They all feed good bacteria too, but again, they're feeding specific strains, and this is where it's getting complicated. Certain foods promote certain strains of bacteria. The polyphenols and the um, the nutrients from food, aside from fiber, 
how does that benefit our good bacteria? Because this is something new from a year ago. We talked mainly about fiber. But now how are the nutrients from food, aside from fiber, how are they benefiting our bacteria? They're actually feeding it. So they, they use the polyphenols the same way they use the fibers to uh, reproduce themselves. So if you want to promote strains, different strains, more diversity, more quality of strains, um, then the more of the... And we may find out it's other phytonutrients too. They just haven't gotten that far yet. So we don't know if it's the carotenoids as well um, or any of the other families, but they definitely have found it with the polyphenols. So this is why you're getting... If you go on the internet, you'll see how they talk about wine helping gut bacteria and chocolate helping gut bacteria, right? So... Um, it's basically food. It's their food. Helps now, them reproduce. Now, are, are, the, are the polyphenols producing, helping the bacteria to produce the short-chain fatty acids, or is there some other byproduct after your, uh, with these nutrients? Um, often what they're producing is a metabolite of the polyphenol that has more benefit to us. So it's kind of cool. It's a very... Uh, uh, positive relationship they're having, right? So a lot of times when we eat our phytonutrients uh, and, or consume them, the bacteria then ferments them, which is how they feed, right? And then produce a new metabolite, a, a version of that polyphenol that we then use in our body to help our health. And so that's, that's basically how it's going, um, not necessarily short-chain fatty acids. So making our food more bioavailable? It actually changes it chemically. Interesting. So it's not just even making it more potent as it is. It's actually what they call a metabolite. So they call short-chain fatty acids metabolites too, right? Can you give um, me an example of of, of, the, of a conversion? Is there one off the top of your head? Um, oh, God, not off the top of my head. I know I have one on. There's one that um, gets produced in... From, uh, a substance in cabbage, and I can't remember it off the top oh, of my head. It's you know what? Um, if it hits you, we'll come back to it. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I, as you can see, it's really interesting for me. So I'm I'm kind of doing this selfishly, trying to pull as much information from you as I can. So I find it extremely well, interesting. Yeah, and, and and I think we have to be careful because um, we we don't want people to lose the overall point that. A healthy gut comes from diversity of food. This is why I don't tend to focus too much on what different metabolites are because there's enough research out there establishing the benefit of, say, broccoli, right, mm-hmm. to uh, helping you detox out uh, hormones or toxins or whatever, right? So there's quite a lot of information about that. What hasn't been understood is that the form that it's in the broccoli is not the form it will be once it enters into our bloodstream, and that's because of gut bacteria. That's kind of the way to look at it. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break, Lorraine. When we come back, I'd like to talk about uh, the importance of gut diversity. Also, I'd like to get into the gut-brain connection and how that affects obesity, and we'll get into the topic also about antibiotics and the profound effect it has, especially uh, for our youngsters. So we'll be back in a few minutes. In the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean Singing how marvelous how wonderful in my soul shall ever be How marvelous and how wonderful is my Savior's love for me Let me sing that first verse again, I stand amazed Amazed in the presence 
of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. And again, our social sites on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are at the Health Hub RMC. And you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. So, Lorraine, I'd like to talk about the topic of antibiotic use and how it's contributing to childhood obesity. Can you enlighten us on that? Um, Okay, well, first of all, it's contributing to obesity in general, not just children. So, essentially, what, what happens is that this is more to do with other functions that help with, with or could be involved with weight. So in particular, if we want to talk about the thyroid, so if you have um, been on a course of antibiotics, this is going to kill good and bad bacteria. Unfortunately, bad bacteria seems to have an advantage at repopulating itself faster after a course of antibiotics than good bacteria does. And this puts you in a state of what they call dysbiosis, where you don't have as much good bacteria as you should and you have more bad bacteria than you should. And in this state of dysbiosis, it can directly affect thyroid function. And, be, and it, of course, if you have, you know, a somewhat underactive thyroid, this will cause you to put on weight more easily than if you have good thyroid function. So this is one of the connections between antibiotics and um, 
uh, gaining weight because if, if you tamper with the thyroid function, you're going to have an issue. So the more you go on antibiotics, the more this is going to happen. And one of the things that they are observing, of course, is that there is more obesity in children. So it not only makes it so that you may be uh, more prone to weight as an adult, they're now starting to see it because the antibiotic use has increased in children. Even sometimes when they, you know, are being born, they're already getting on antibiotics depending on what's gone on while the mother's been in labor. And this has been linked to uh, potentially seeing this increase in obesity in children. So antibiotics are affecting the thyroid of children, you think? Or that's what the research is showing? Well, they're affecting the gut bacteria, which then which is in affecting turn the affects thyroid. the thyroid. We don't often hear thyroid connected to kids. It's uh, That's something new for sure. Now, I have seen um, that probiotics are being recommended much more frequently by doctors during the course of antibiotic intake. Is there a time that probiotics should or should not be taken uh, when you're taking your antibiotics uh, in a time frame? I mean, can you take them at the same time? as your antibiotics, or do you need to take them away from your antibiotics? Um, well, it doesn't really matter because the antibiotics are in there when, no matter when you take them. And so what you're really creating, when you take your probiotics with your antibiotics, what you're doing, antibiotics can only kill so much bacteria. So you're giving them more bacteria that is good that could potentially be killed. So they might means that some of your own bacteria is left alone because it can only do so much, right? Plus, we know that probiotics also help fight uh, bad bacteria too. They do have some uh, properties to them. So do your own bacteria to help uh, control bad bacteria. So it's kind of like the probiotics and the antibiotics are uh, doing the same job, but the unfortunate part with the antibiotics is like, you know, if you had a, a bunch of soldiers and the all the soldiers are trying to kill, you know, the other soldiers, and then at some point the, the, the team turns around and starts shooting each other. So that's kind of what's going on when you take it together, but it helps. It really, really helps. And the studies when they show the difference in how the bacteria uh, levels come back up to normal faster when you take the probiotics with the antibiotics are is really good but you also want to continue to take the probiotics for at least two weeks after the antibiotics. Okay. Now, how is our typical Western diet disrupting the balance of our microbiota? We might as well just head that question on or answer that question full on. Well, first of all, when you eat a diet that is too high in fat and protein, right, which is uh, and refined carbohydrates, and not enough fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, you are slanting the bacteria composition. Now, it's really important that people understand that um, just because you eat fat and protein, like say from, you know, good quality fats, good quality protein, whatever, the bacteria is going to change because you don't have enough plants doesn't matter, but it doesn't necessarily mean a, a bad thing. It's not necessarily that you're getting more bad bacteria. It's really the emptiness of the diet in terms of nutrients for the gut that is going to determine whether you have more dysbiosis versus, you know, good quality levels of good bacteria. And so what happens is people are eating food that really doesn't have enough food for the bacteria, and this is what's creating the dysbiosis. The quality of the bacteria goes down, the quantity goes down, the, di the number, the diversity of the strains goes down, because there's not enough diversity in the diet and there's not enough nutrients in the diet. So eating a diverse diet, this is the other aspect. We don't just want just good bacteria, we want a biodiversity of good bacteria, correct? Um, that is correct. So you need to have, when they look at really healthy microbiomes of people in Africa, they find that they have so many more types of strains than we have. They even have more types of bad bacteria strains than we have. But uh, the balance, of course, is mainly good bacteria, and they don't get the health issues we get, and they don't suffer from the intestinal issues that we get. So it's the diversity, the more, it's, it's like you're building something that's really strong. And so the more diversity you have, the more every, every strain has specific little functions. And um, 
the more diversity you have, the more functions these bacteria are able to perform. And they're not necessarily there in huge amounts. So you have some families of bacteria that are very prevalent and, and predominant. And this is the type that they tend to put in probiotics as well. Uh, but then you have like little specialty guys. And it depends on what specialty guys ha- that you have that determines how healthy you are. Okay, well, I'm going to cut to something now that I was going to maybe late, wait uh, until a little bit later. They have companies now that are testing um, for your microbiome and strains and so forth. And I did one of those tests just to see where I am. Um, I wasn't completely happy with my results, but I better than the average, I suppose. Um, but there was a particular bacteria that I was hoping to have, and it didn't show up. And I was wondering, especially with my, my history with cancer, it was a particular bacteria that, that has been um, studied to be beneficial for someone like myself, everybody in general, but I, that was the one I was particularly looking at. And I didn't have any reading on that. So I know that a lot of people are doing these tests now because the microbiome is, is the area of health that, that we are really learning about. Where... Where can these tests sort of fall short of what we need to know, and where do you see the benefit in these testings? Um, okay, well, right now I don't find them particularly helpful because what they do is they compare you to other people. However, if they were to do what they said, uh, if what you're saying, Kathy, that you're missing a particular family of strains um, that and that is of concern to you, um, then that would be helpful. And the, then, the, uh, then the, the next question is, can you do something to help your, you get more of those? So this is the big question right now. So and I know which bacteria you're talking about because you told me. And I'm just afraid I'll mispronounce the A in the name. Artemisia. Artemisia. I knew it was. Oh, that's right. That's the one. Yes. I wasn't going to give it a shot. (laughs) So this is something we don't know. So they say that if you do fasting or intermittent fasting, that this helps promote your Archimancy immunocephila. There's some other strategies as well, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, But what I bet you're going to see is this show up in a probiotic. And then that would be your best strategy. Um, Over time, we don't know. Like, this is what we don't know. We don't know that if you don't have that strain at all, can you get it from natural evolution of the way you eat and how your gut functions? Because bacteria evolves. um, The the the, you know you you take things in from the outside. We don't know whether stuff from the outside eventually colonizes. We just don't know. So there is a possibility that you could evolve this through strategies, but we don't know what they are. But I can guarantee you this particular bacteria, because it's being talked about quite a bit, I was trying to look up to see if there is any uh, already. I I can't remember if this is the one. There might be one in Germany already, a probiotic. I'm not sure. Um, But this is what will happen. It will end up in in a probiotic supplement. Do you think we're going down the path of precision medicine as far as the microbiome, and also uh, precision, precision nutrition as far as cultivating. And, and that can be a slippery slope too, but do you see that's where companies are taking us? Oh, absolutely, because um, they have, you know, money drives everything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just looking this up. There, There does appear to be a probiotic with this. Archimensia mucinophila already in it. So there you go, Kathy. Um, yeah, no, this is where they're going. You're going to see not only specific strategies using bacteria, they're going to start to see formulas where they put several strains that have been linked to a positive outcome for a given health condition. So there'll be like a heart disease probiotic, there'll be a cancer probiotic, there, and, and how well they work or don't work is, you know, going to be up. We're a long way from even knowing that. But yeah, this is definitely the way they're going. Uh, they're even trying to, some companies are trying to trademark when they put certain combinations of strains together. Um, so we're going to see a lot of that. And they're going to also try to uh, create drugs that, they're already trying to do this, create drugs to promote 
gut bacteria grow. Okay. Which is a scary thought. Yeah. Um, How do you patent certain bacteria? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we already know that one of the, like, I, again, I just found this out, metformin for diabetes actually promotes the growth of good bacteria. That's how it's helping the blood sugar. They just, they just figured that out. Interesting, because I know a company has been touting metformin for um, particular types of cancer. I didn't know what the connection was. I thought it was just particular blood sugar management, but that is very interesting. Now, how I would like to talk before we end the show about how the gut-brain communication influences weight management. Can you give us a bit of information on that? Well, there's two ways. Um, first of all, I mean, when we talk about weight, there's other hormone relationships that are involved, right? So uh, the gut-brain connection has, there's a, so the, gut, the thyroid and the gut connection is part of the gut-brain connection, okay. right? Yep. So you've, you, you've got your gut talking to your brain, in particular the hypothalamus, and the hypothalamus is what controls how thyroid functions, right? Because the thyroid, or the hypothalamus signals the pituitary, and the pituitary signals the thyroid to produce thyroid hormones, right? So that's one relationship. Then there's also the adrenals, and, and your adrenals and cortisol, the hormone cortisol in particular, is a main communication hormone between the gut and the brain. And we know that too much cortisol also plays a role in thyroid function. It, it, it inhibits thyroid function, and it also causes more weight gain around the middle as well. So those are two very simple relationships that can be affected by the gut brain and be linked to um, obesity. Everything is connected, right? You betcha. Everything is connected. I'm getting cold sweats from an exam I took about three years ago about trying to find connections <laughs> about things. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's it's a fascinating subject and so many I mean I just it's something that I I'm I look at all the time it it goes into my play with um with cancer care and and there's even talk now about uh particular diversity of microbiome affecting certain therapies and their outcomes so the connections between our gut and our health are endless, and this is of particular interest between our gut health and obesity. Uh, thank you, Lorene, so much for coming to the show. Lorene, if you want to find out more about Lorene and what she does and information on the gut, she is the, the expert on it. You can go to her website. It's thedigestersdilemma.com, the, D-I-G-E-S-T-E-R-S, with an S, dilemma. Com. I'll put that up on the website as well. And uh, Lorraine, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you coming to the show today. It's always an interesting topic. I, I kind of feel really selfish when I have you on the show because I pull out as much information as I can from you. So I do appreciate <laughs> you coming to the show. And everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.